Welcome to The Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent, or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a doula, a mum of a toddler, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode. Today I'm talking to Deanna, whose story is one of those that most of us have probably only heard as a myth passed around the playground. When Dee experienced some intense abdominal pain while just going about her daily life, she had no idea that just hours later she would be holding a baby in her arms. Yes, Dee is one of those people who really didn't know she was pregnant. Dee struggled with postnatal depression, anxiety and PTSD after her daughter was born and she shares how she finally came to seek the help that she desperately needed. Dee's story is a roller coaster of emotions and I'm so thrilled that she felt able to share her experience with me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would like to thank Dee for being so open and vulnerable with me while sharing her birth story. First and foremost, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and your family and who you are and what you do? Okay, cool. So I'm Dee. I am 26. I have been within the piercing scene since I was 14, um, but I professionally started piercing from the age of 16. Um, and I've been doing it almost professionally 10 years this February, which is crazy thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a single parent. I have been since my little one was born. Um, and my family are all from Newbury. I'm from Newbury, West Berkshire, England. I have lived in London, but it was a bit too much for me. It's just chaotic, that area. I just didn't enjoy it. I like the farmland and the countryside and homely I guess it is but I do travel quite a bit when I can um, and I teach piercing webinars as well so that's about it really um, yeah. and then I've got four cats as well became Extended a crazy family yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh that's brilliant yeah I totally agree with you about the um London would never be for me I like to see a bit of green and smell some cows Oh good, yeah. Yeah. Had you from a young age had you thought about having children? Have you wanted children or did that come later? So from the age of eleven, twelve, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. Yeah. So which is an ovary disease I call it. It's horrible. Um and I had the full spectrum. I had the hair growth, hair loss cysts on the ovaries, regular periods, cycles were between one time it could be for a whole year I'll be bleeding and then the next minute I wouldn't get anything for like six months to a year. So I knew from a very young age what I had but I didn't know the the whole thing of it. Like I knew that I needed to lose weight which is what the NHS always tells you when you have polycystic is that you need to lose weight, you need to do this, blah blah blah. But once you have polycystic, losing weight is the most hardest thing. <laughs> you, you can't, it's just not an easy process. And I've always been a very large person since a young age. Um, I think it's mainly genetic within my family because most of them are very large as it is. So when I got diagnosed, they referred me to a lifey health, health style referral thing um, where you basically have like a boot camp for the summer. And I was wow. 12 at the time. At 12 years old yeah um and I applied for it and I never heard back and they said that it could be like an eight week wait and I was just like okay that's cool and then I was put on hormonal contraception I was put on the combined pill which made it 10 times worse which is normal because it's the combined pill and then at the age of 15 that's when I started noticing other things that were happening it was like my hormones were literally up and down all the time and the hair growth was becoming more intense Mm. and I went in and they were like we could do the health life healthy lifestyle referral again and I was like well I never heard back when I applied the last time 
So they made me fill out a form there and then. Didn't hear anything. <laughs> Didn't hear anything about it. Um, and then that's when they put me on a different kind of pill. And then they put me on a diet and I would have to go and weigh in at a dietary place like every month to see if I was losing weight which didn't happen. It was the case that my body was actually storing the fat more when I was on this diet. I can't imagine so, the pressure that must have put on you as a teenage oh, girl. It was awful because, you know, all of my friends were in relationships. I've, from the ages of 14, I've always said I never want a boyfriend. I don't want to get <laughs> married or anything like that. And I've kind of stuck to it. I've never really had a partner or anything like that. And all of them like getting in relationships and they went eyeing up boys and girls and so forth. And I was kind of like the odd one out who was kind of like the mum of the group. Like I looked after everyone, but I was the biggest person out of the group. And at the time when I was doing this diet, that's when I got diagnosed as anemic as well so they were like oh not only do you need to lose weight but you need to have more iron and I was just like great "Great, that means more tablets and my diet to change again in the end when I turned 17 I just gave up I was like you know polycystic is going to stay with me for a lifetime it isn't going to go anywhere and that's when I actually uh, found out there's a group called uh, Verti or a T, um, it's like a polycystic uh, support group, but it's like positivity more than like negativity of it. And mm-hmm. I went to one meeting and there was this woman who sat down with me and she was like, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to find it hard to have kids. Your fertility wow. is going to be, you know, not great. The whole losing weight thing doesn't work. She was like, I've lost like 30 pounds and I've still got it and it's worse than it was before. And it's going to stay with you forever and the doctors don't tell you that and I was just like okay yeah no I understand because I've been you know reading about it since the age of like 12 when I was diagnosed with it so I kind of knew like the ins and outs but I didn't know like the full spectrum of it Mm. so when she was like blunt and truthful to me I was just like okay that's fine I can accept it and that's Mm. when I just carried on with life when I turned 18 19 that's when you know I was within the piercing scene but I also had a great range of friends and all of them were like getting into relationships and some of them were trying for kids and some of them had kids so I was already put in the area and the mind frame of like kids are a thing like you can have them at any age there's no like wrongdoing or right doing of having a child and I used to babysit for them and everything. And I was like the great auntie D, you know, and I loved it. But I always sat down with anybody who I was involved with and told them, like, look, I'm not looking for a relationship right now. I just want a partner who I can just have fun with and enjoy the little things in life. But I don't want kids. And I've always stuck to that. Even now, after I've had my child, I don't want any more. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm happy with just the one because <laughs> one is enough um and I think that's and... not that, that's not something that society really accepts like yeah you know, if you don't have any children it's oh why don't you have children when are you gonna have children if you've already got one child it's all oh, when's you know you can't win yeah yeah I I still like if I do the school run or if I go to my GP um it's the case of oh is your kid gonna have a brother or sister anytime soon and it's like I one I don't have a partner, and two I don't want any more. And from the age of like eighteen, nineteen, that kind of stuck with me that I just didn't want kids. I just preferred being the great auntie D, or just the person that somebody can rely on for babysitting because I enjoyed kids' company because they're full of joy and a great bundle to have and. You know, you can make them laugh and it's the best thing to hear. And that's what I loved about it. So tell us about when you found out you were pregnant with your daughter. So I didn't know, (laughs) which is what I love opening up with, is that I am one of those people that didn't know they were pregnant. Um, So when I, what I kind of knew was early on, because the person who I was with partnership with, we were like on and off for a while. And that's when I was like, right, okay, um, we've had unprotected sex. 
I haven't been on my period for like a year and a half. So then that's when I was like, could I be pregnant? I don't know. So then I brought three clear blue. <laughs> they were like supposedly good on the market mm-hmm. and it didn't show anything. It was just yeah. trying to like come through with something and it wouldn't say anything. Um, and then I took like cheap ones from like Poundland and it's coming back negative. And I didn't have any symptoms either. I didn't have like morning sickness. I didn't have a bump. I didn't have any movement. It was just nothing there. So I was completely oblivious to what my body was actually doing. And, you know, during the time I was still partying. I was Mm -hmm. still going out drinking. I was still smoking weed and doing certain drugs and, you know, sleeping with the partner that I had relations with and just living my life, like staying out all night, eating the foods that you shouldn't eat and doing what I was doing. I suppose that's one of the big questions that must fall out of people's mouths when they hear your story is, well, how could you not know, you know? But then, you know, if you mention that you didn't have any movement and if you were a bigger person anyway, you may not have had that anywhere in your mind, you know? So, yeah, that was that's probably the question I think that most people go, did, did you not feel, you know, feel anything? <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, everyone always asks that. And, you know, I actually asked a couple of midwives after it all happened. And they said that, you know, it's actually very common for those with polycystic and of larger size or other uh, unfortunate uh, fertility issues that sometimes they just don't know. Like, if there's no signs, um, usually they're womb is very well protected with a lot of fluid so you can't feel any movement so yeah it was it's all I always get that question like every time I explain my story they're like but but how (laughs) and it's just like hey it happens you know you're not the first person I've heard or I mean you're the first person I've really had a proper conversation with um who's had this kind of experience but you're not the first person I've heard of so it's obviously happening and if a midwife has said to you well it's you know it does happen um then you're just you're just one of the one of the rare few take me to the point at which you realized that something was happening I assume you had gone into labor so it was the night before and I thought I peed myself so I went and had a shower and then just went to bed in the morning I think I woke up around 7 a.m and I was getting ready to go to work and I got to the stairs and I couldn't move. I was in so much pain and more fluid was coming out, which is basically the waters. And I just couldn't move. I was just sat on the stairs, like breathing. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I don't know what's going on with my body. Like, what the hell? What, what did you think was happening? I thought that my body was just collapsing. Like, I thought that Mm. I was, either my bladder had given in and I was just having issues with keeping in my urine or because of the pain, I thought it was my appendix because a few years ago I had appendix issues. Mm. So I thought maybe that was the relation to it. So the pain got worse, just about got downstairs and that's when I was like, right, I'm ringing 999. (laughs) I can't deal with it anymore. And at this time I lived at home with my parents and my mum was at work and my dad was upstairs asleep and I didn't know that he was home. So when the ambulance arrived, they were like checking me over and stuff like that. And that's when they blues and twos me in. They were like, we need to get you in ASAP because we're not actually sure what's going on. They were very confused why there was fluid, well, my water's coming out and why I was in severe pain so they gave me some liquid morphine and was like right we need to get you to Basingstoke Hospital that's when my dad rang me because <laughs> he heard the, the sirens going off oh, and he was wow. like where are you what's going on and I was like I'm in the ambulance but I can't talk right now I'll talk to you when I'm at the hospital why didn't you come and get me <laughs> he was going I was like I, I didn't know you were home but he, he was brilliant. He like rang my mum, 
told her what was going on and everything like that. Like, I've been blues and twos and toughs, but of course he was panicking. My mum was panicking. I was panicking. When I got there, they got me into a little room and that's when this lovely nurse came in and a doctor. They were like, hey, we just need to do blood pressure, take your bloods, and we need you to do a urine sample just in case of infection. I was like, okay, that's cool. So they had to put me in a wheelchair to get me into the toilet because I couldn't stand up or walk because I was in so much pain. And so they gave me a little bit more liquid morphine and they did a pee sample, did the bloods and everything. And then a midwife and a doctor came down. It was a different doctor. Midwife came down. She was like, look, I need to take you upstairs to the maternity ward. I kind of looked at her like, what do you mean maternity ward? What the hell's going on? And um, that's when she was like, well, because of the blood and because you've tested positive for pregnancy, we think you might be going through a miscarriage. And that's when, after then, I kind of just went a bit blank because yeah. nobody wants to hear those words or experience it themselves. And so they took me upstairs and that's when my mum arrived. And she was like, what's going on? What's going on? You know, the typical, like, mum situation and they sat down and explained her what they think is going on and so she came with me upstairs and they did a ultrasound just to see if they could hear a heartbeat or anything took them about three seconds and they heard a heartbeat and the doctor looked at me and he went you're in labor and my mum went you've got to be fucking kidding me she went she was like what do you mean she's in fucking labor she was going like completely off on one like what the hell um and I was just high as a kite on liquid morphine and they gave me some gas in there and I was just like just just led there like just gazing at this like monitor thing that was like reading the heartbeat and I was like kind of turned to my mum and was like I'm gonna be a nanny I'm gonna oh be did a she nanny. say that oh, yeah wow. and, um first grandkid as well so you know it's a bit of a shock for her yeah so they were like right we need to do an internal scan and my mum looked at me and she went, good luck. I was like, what do you mean? What's an internal scan? She was like, oh, it means that a doctor's going to come in and he's going to put his hand up inside you to see how dilated you are and to see how far go- gone you are because you don't know that you're pregnant. They don't know how far gone you are because there's nothing to look on. I was put in this little white room with like a curtain and this this huge bulky doctor came in with huge hands and I just kind of looked at him and I was like, you are not going anywhere near me. Like, not for internal scan. No way, Jose. You, you. And one of the midwives who were there from the beginning, she looked at me and she went, just look at me and hold my hands. Here's some gas in there. You know, it will be uncomfortable, but it'll be done very quickly. And my mum, she always turns around and she goes, you let out the most horrible scream ever when it happened. It was very uncomfortable. He broke my waters even more when he did that, which is a good thing, because they think that where I could have been in labour longer, I would have been higher infection rate if he didn't break my water sooner. Mm. Um, and then that's when he turned and said, oh, I think she's about 22 weeks. Oh, so, of course, that's when they started panicking, getting the incubator ready and getting everything else ready. And because when he broke the waters, that's when he said I was about four millimetres, four centimetres dilated. Mm-hmm. So the midwife looked at the doctor and they were like, we need to find a delivery suite. And on that day, all the delivery suites were taken. So they were rushing around trying to find one for me. Luckily, they found one, which was a private one, um, which technically I would have had to pay for because it wasn't on the NHS. But because my situation was an emergency they kind of like was like don't worry about it we'll just sign it off for you and this bit I don't really remember bits of it because the gas in there was amazing and I wish I took it home with me (laughs) phenomenal Um, but my mum always like fills me on on bits because she remembers every single bit and she always makes a joke of certain bits because she's like I've been in labor three times you did it once and you made a whole scene about it. And I'm like, all right, mum, chill out. I think we can let you we off. Got... <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on. I didn't know I was pregnant. You did. <laughs> um, altogether, I had like four midwives. 
two of them I'm still really good friends with now uh keep in contact with them wow and they were phenomenal the whole way I had two other doctors as well and then my mom and then my sister was there also um she couldn't stay in the room (laughs) when I gave birth because it was a lot for her to take in but after I gave birth she came back up and that was it she just she just started crying because she's an auntie now she's always wanted to be an auntie so she was just like oh my god some bits as I said I I can remember but some bits I can't but my mum said that there was this one bit during labour where I turned around and I said I really need to go to the toilet I can't remember any of this so there was two midwives that helped me get out of bed and she said I was walking like a crab because I just I couldn't stand up straight or anything because it was just too much agony and I was like right she said that I asked help to be put down on the toilet and then they stood at the door and I got up and I got to the sink and I literally was like mom like screaming for her and she said that I was clenching onto the sink and I looked at her with pure horror and then she she was like you know she was like you look like you could feel it, like you finally could feel childbirth, like it was finally happening. And so they had to come in and basically pick me up because I just couldn't move and they didn't want me to deliver by a sink because it'd be too dangerous. So they helped me get back on the bed. And that's when one of the midwives looked and she was like, oh, yeah, you're crowning. (laughs) That's what that feeling was then. (laughs) So she she was like, right, I'm going to ask you to start pushing. So I started pushing. She went, wait, 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 I need to get my gloves on. Like, don't start pushing yet. I was like, I need to fucking push. I need to. And did, did you have that very instinctual, I, my body has to push and there's nothing I can yes. do about it? Right. Yeah, it felt like um, when you're peeling an orange and you see a pip and you want to squeeze it out. It was like that satisfaction of I need to push this out. I need to push this out now. The whole like labour experience, even if I try and remember the pain, it makes me cringe because it's such an outer body experience and you can never compare any pain to it. And the one thing that I do remember very clearly is that they were like discussing if it was going to be a boy or a girl because they didn't know. I didn't know whether I was having a boy or girl. They didn't know how far I was gone. They didn't know whether I was having a premature baby or four-term baby. So they were, like, putting everything into place. And they turned around to me and they were like, well, what do you want to name your baby? I was like, you know, midway pushing a baby out. And I heard a voice. And it was my granddad. Wow. And, sorry. Don't don't apologise. He passed away a few years prior and he was like my best friend and he just he came to me he unfortunately passed away at Basingstoke Hospital so I felt like a really good connection while I was there and you know I was, I was like trying to think of a name and I just heard him and he went call her Lou he like he knew that I was having a girl and he was like, call her Lou, because that's what I used to call you when you were a kid. And, you know, when she, when I finally delivered and they popped her in my arms, that's when I just started crying. And then all these emotions came over me. And I turned around to my mum and I was like, I want to call her Lou. And my mum just started crying. And then my sister came in and I told her as well. And then she started crying and all of us just at the same time went, Granddad Tony. And I went, yeah, Granddad Tony. That is such a beautiful story. I mean, I know that it's, you know, chaotic and stressful and frightening. Gotcha. But that that moment that you had that experience must have just been so unexpected that he had found a way to to talk to you. Oh, God, yeah. Um, it It was so surreal because I couldn't see him, but I could feel his presence and I could hear him and I always feel guilty because I never saw him while it was impossible Mm. because I didn't want to see him at his weakest points so when he passed I always felt him around me and I would hear him from 
like when he wasn't on the oxygen because mm-hmm. he suffered with CPOD and other breathing difficulties. So he was constantly like from the age of when I was like 15, he was constantly on an oxygen tank. Um, so it was nice to hear him say that without the oxygen. Mm. It was nice to just hear him. And then I didn't, because I didn't have any scans or anything, I asked our hospital for the heartbeat and, you know, everything else. And they gave it to me. And on the heartbeat, they said that they found something while they were doing it. And there was a little fingerprint in the video. Oh. And I told my dad about that, and she said, "This probably grabbed a Tony." So when you had a, an image of your baby's heart, they you could see a little mark on it. Wow! Yeah, you could see a little fingerprint like on it. Wow! So it's kind of like you know a protective thing, I think. And it was just, I still say like it was a very spiritual. Uh, moment like I tell my mum and my sister and all my family about that part and you know it's one thing that I will forever keep with me and take to my grave um and do you think it was just so do you think that experience has kind of helped you make sense of what's happened a little bit in that yeah definitely yeah because you know after I gave birth, that's when they weighed her and they said that she was five pound ten. And they took some measurements with a tape. It, 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 in my little red book, it literally just says question mark. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how far gone I actually was. Um, some of the midwives were doing little bets while I was in labour, uh, but they they predict between twenty eight to thirty two weeks. Okay, just because of how small she was she was a long baby but small which I didn't really understand when they told me that um but it makes sense now because when I would hold her in my arm it would just literally be the length of my arm but she she was long for her size and after birth was the worst bit because my placenta didn't want to come um they had to give me a type of steroid or something that can mm-hmm. uh, relax your muscles so you can dilate a bit mm-hmm. more. And it just it just wasn't budging. Um, my placenta was like, no, I want to stay here. And my body was like, no, you need to go. So they had to use a type of forcep to mm. dislodge it. And that was, and, you didn't go into theatre for that. That was a, a no, kind of manual thing that they did. Yeah, they had to do it, like, there and then, because they were like, if we don't get this out now, you're going to have a really severe infection. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I, most of my muscles were relaxed as it is because I'd just given birth, they were like, it's easier if we just do it now, because if we prep you for theatre and everything, by the time we get in there, it's going to be a proper surgery. Right. And, like, you would have to stay in hospital longer and stuff like that. So they just did it there and then. Luckily, I had a lot of gas in there left. So that helps a lot. Um, mm. Once it was out, I asked them if I could um, part keep it. So some of it was already what they call like dead. So there wasn't right. like any blood in it or anything like that. So they cut that bit off and they gave me the rest. And I got it made into tablets because that awesome. was a good thing to do. So I did you know, that. Um, I'm really impressed that you did that, given that you didn't have any time to prepare that that is something you might want to do you know because yeah, you can totally imagine why you would just go oh I don't know you know just get rid of it whereas something has obviously been in the back of your mind to make you think to do that which is cool yeah it was because one of my friends I was there for her child labor and she had a water bath and it was at home and I was kind of like the cheerleader for it I was kind of like just there just for support because unfortunately her partner just got called out to go back to the the army so he wasn't there so I stepped in and I was like look I'll help as much as I can and she turned around and said well I need you to contact this person who turns placentas into tablets and other types of things that you can put into food 
And when I when it was there in front of me, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that as well. Because she told me like afterwards it could help with like, you know, reviving your body and getting iron back in the system and stuff like that. And because I was anemic, I was like, ah, light bulb. Let's get some of that. So I think I've still got some left somewhere. So, yeah, it was quite handy to already know what I needed to do. Mm. Um, my mum found it really bizarre because my mum, you know, she's... I think a lot of people do, but, you know, that yeah. it's not going to hurt you. So No, it's part of your body. You've yeah. grown it at the end of the day. Like, it's been with you for so many months and it's been, you know, helping your child and helping your body. Why not use that piece of stuff that's been with you for so long to yeah. just rebuild your body again had your baby been taken to a NICU at this point because they were unsure of her gestational age or where was your baby at this point uh she was taken straight away to the um NC uh unit bit where of course like you know premature babies are taken to just to be checked over but before they did that they did like you know skin skin contact and then they were asking me if I wanted to breastfeed and you know and everybody thought about it before but I was just like yeah I'll give it a go because you know it's you know either way breastfeeding or formula they're both beneficial for a baby but I did I did want to just give it a go just in case just to see if my body could do it tried it my body was just like no it's not happening they wouldn't produce any milk or anything um they did try like warm compression and another type of kind of like medication to help just unblock it a bit but it it just wasn't happening like she was latching on great and she was trying really hard and my body was just like no not today we're not we're not going to do this she's just given birth you know and you just delivered your placenta I'm not going to produce milk for you right now uh you need to rest up um so in the end I just opted for formula and because I didn't have anything <laughs> I didn't have any baby clothes or you know nappies or anything like that um sorry the whole hospital came together and they were like there were parents already there who like came through like they donated like gloves nappies formula um like there was this one lady who I became good friends with her name's Jackie and you know she was the same size as me and she gave me a few of her clothes until my mum got back and it was just nice to, you know, have the support around me. It's um, a lot of kindness, isn't it? Oh, it was amazing. Like, they all were, like, knocking on the door, like, hey, I've got this for you, or I've got this for you. Um, and, like, the the NC unit, the premature baby unit, they gave me, like, a lot of clothes as well that they had in hospital. And I've still got them now. Oh, <laughs> had to let go of those, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, because it's like the very first like baby growth you had, and it's so tiny. Mm. It's smaller than a baby Annabelle one. It, it's 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 very small, and um, and yeah. So she she was taken down. Uh, she had a load of tests done. She had an infection. She had fluid on her lungs. She she had like irregular heartbeat. John just like known tomorrow. So I said to her, well. You're going to get a good tan under that UV light besides yeah. so enjoy that um and then just some other things that they needed to check over like she had like fluid stuck in her throat and everything because they being that when she came out she didn't spit it all out mm-hmm. so they had to you know sort all that out so she was in there on and off for a week and a half okay um and you know they they did amazing they let me go down there to check on her sit down with her feed her and had they worked out what her gestational age was at this point so did they have a good estimate for you or were they just kind of going dealing with what they had at the time and then they would you know work that out they they still don't know and they still question to this day um because when it's Lou's birthday I ring them up and they still say, oh, we still have bets to this day to see if we can get any closer to, to tell you how far gone you were. Nobody made any money then <laughs> on <No>. those bets. <laughs> they, they, they're all complaining that I supposedly owe them money. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's right. 
but yeah, when I had a few issues myself, um, so while I was in labour, um, they said that a cyst on one of my ovaries popped at the same time. So I had a high chance of an infection. So I had to be put on a type of antibiotics and I was also given painkillers and I had to exercise straight away because my body wasn't ready for labour and it wasn't ready for pregnancy and it wasn't ready for anything. So they said that I had to do 20 steps a day, which was pretty fun because I did more than that and I would cause chaos. <laughs> I'd be the little mischief that would like sneak into the staff room and be like, anybody got any cake? I can't <laughs> deal with the NHS dinners. But they, they all enjoyed me. They all enjoyed my humour. And I think some of them needed it at the end of the day because the maternity ward can be so intense sometimes and you know I wasn't put in a private room for the whole time I was moved about quite a bit I was put into wards where there was people that were just about to go into labour I was put into rooms where they just had the kids but they were Mm -hmm. having personal issues themselves you know I was like moved about until they put me in my own little room when my daughter was able to come out of the incubator um, and she was just in a wheelie bed thing mm. um it was weird it had like drawers and everything it was so cool and I asked them if I could take one home and they said no oh. um, and I was well watered <laughs> I suppose you must have been sort of a bit of a legend you know like you you were not only kind of providing that probably a bit of like relief being kind of just a funny like character for everyone but also if people knew about you enough to drop <clears throat> to drop by and give you clothes and stuff maybe you know, and it sounds like you have continued a relationship with the people that were there, so which I don't think many people can say. So, oh yeah, so there was Jackie. I'm still good friends with her. We catch up sometimes because her little boy and my little girl were like a couple of days apart. So when it's either one's birthday, we'll try and like arrange a time when we can meet up and see each other. Then you have the two midwives that I'm still in contact with. Um, and then I ring them like every year on these birthdays just to see how they're getting on. Mm. I send them flowers and, you know, treats. And yeah, and sometimes, you know, when I'm up there, if I've got an issue myself, supposedly it flags up on the system and some of them come down and see me. <laughs> so it's quite handy. Amazing. But yeah, the, the, honestly, like, you know, I'm so grateful for all of them. And I always tell them that, like, mm-hmm. whenever I ring up, I'm like, I'm so grateful for all of you. You know, you did a, an amazing job and you were there for me. But they're, they're like, you know, we just enjoyed you being there because mm-hmm. I did, like, you know, make them laugh, which they needed because, you know, it's it's a hard job what they do. And I appreciate everything that they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my aim every day, every morning, lunch and dinner was just to, make one of them laugh even those who were cooking the food and delivering it I, I would make them laugh because they just needed that and you probably needed a laugh as well oh god yeah so oh I mean obviously this is you know it's a crazy story it's a wild story and amazing but obviously there's that huge element of shock for you there's a mm-hmm. huge amount of trauma probably to your emotional state immediately after this has happened what kind of support did you have just for you in terms of your kind of mental processing of what's happened? Did you, did anybody come and speak to you from the hospital about that? Or did you kind of find your own people to speak to or how did you deal with so that? They did guide me to one therapist who I do actually still see to this day, wow. who is Connor Law. You know, she, she isn't on the NHS or anything like that. So I do have to pay for a time, but I'm happy to pay for a time because she is great. I think the one thing that did let me down is just my GP. I, when I gave birth, I did blood tests like a week prior. So I had a phone call from my GP when I was in hospital. And he was like, oh, I need you to come in because we need to have a conversation about your bloods. And I was like, what, that I'm pregnant? And he was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm in hospital. I've just given birth. Oh, that's great. Dumb hang up he didn't say like congratulations or if I needed any other help or anything like that he kind of just hung up so I was just like okay that's fine I'm not gonna waste your time anymore when I was discharged I saw one health visitor and then social services got involved 
because it was an unknown pregnancy. So they wanted to check the environment to see that this unknown pregnancy wasn't like a hidden one from like domestic abuse or anything like that. Um, so they sat down with me, did the whole like interview thing and stuff like that. And the lady just looked at me and she went, I don't see why I was wrong. I don't see why there was an issue. She was like, I know that, you know, you had um, weed within your system when they took your bloods, but you didn't know you're pregnant. So it's understandable why you had a spliff just to mm. get rid of the pain. Like yeah. it's understandable. So she didn't question me any further. Um, but I did ask her like, you know, is there anybody that I could talk to about the situation that I've just gone through and like mental health? And she just went, oh, you need to contact your GP about that. So I did that. I contacted the GP and I went in, had a chat with them and they just went, oh, it's just baby blues. It will go. You don't need to worry about anything else. You know, you've just gone through a traumatic experience. It'll go though. You won't feel sad anymore, you know. So I just kept passing it off as baby blues. That's disgraceful. Like, all the time. They just wanted me out. They didn't want to talk to me or anything like that. Um, and this was a male doctor. So I put in a complaint and I was like, I want to see a female doctor or I want to see a nurse mm. because I think they would understand more. They declined that. They said, no, you need to see your family doctor because it isn't just you. It's your baby as well now. I didn't think that was legal. I thought you could decline seeing somebody if you had a problem with them. Well, they didn't see it as a problem because they were like, that person's giving you medical advice. Baby blues is a thing. You'll be fine in six months. Baby blues is um, definitely a thing. And, you know, we mustn't make all parents feel like, you know, everything has to be escalated to a, a kind of more serious mental health condition. But I think specifically in your case, they should probably have taken a pretty hard look at that and gone, this is probably not just baby blues. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. My therapist said the same thing. So before I actually went to my first therapy session um I actually spoke to a nurse who was at a it was just like a, a nursery where you can weigh your babies to see yeah. how they're progressing after like a certain amount of weeks and I was speaking to them and they were like well you know your GP's wrong for doing that you can request for someone else you can write to the council explain the situation and then they can pass it off to head office and then they can change it for you but it could be a long process she, the the woman was like it could take up to like eight to twelve weeks for it to even go through and I was like right okay and then she was just asking how I was and stuff like that and then I started telling her like you know mentally I'm not mm. there mm. still not <laughs> and you know I wasn't really showing any affection to Luke because I just mm. didn't feel that mm. and you know that's when she gave me a big hug and she said you're not the only parent who goes through this she was like you know that's that's the first sign postnatal depression it's when you don't feel you know any love or affection or you know want to cater to baby that you know you didn't really give up you have it and so that's when she, you know, said, like, if you can get hold of um, a mind charity, they can um, give you a bit of guidance to get in a grant so you can afford a therapist. Yeah. And I didn't even know that existed. I was just like, oh, I thought therapy was only through the NHS. And she said, no, you can go through charities who can help you. So I'm like, when I first sprung them, and I just broke down. <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to do it. I don't know mm. who I am. I don't mm. know where I am. And so they helped me. They actually sent a lovely gentleman out to my mum's house because I was still living there. He sat down with me and was like, right, tell me everything. I'm going to help you. Wow. Somebody who really, really wanted to listen. And so I told him the whole experience, what happened, and how I was feeling. And, you know, it was just blank. Like, I just didn't feel anything, think anything. I was just, like, in this world where I didn't want to shower, I didn't want to get dressed, I didn't want to make an effort with my look. And, you know, I was interacting with Chloe, but I didn't feel like I was her mum. I just felt like I just gave birth to her, and that was it. That was it. And so when he 
said like i'm gonna help you get a therapist i told him that i, I was already in contact with one but you know there this is a certain amount of money and he said don't worry we're gonna get a grant for you and so he went over his way got the grant for me and i think this was just after the second and last ever visit i had from a health visitor even though you're supposed to have multiple ones until they're like a year to two years old mm. i only saw two mm. i never saw any more after then <laughs> but yeah so i only saw two i didn't see anybody else and i didn't put a complaint about that and they were like oh well some of them are, you know happened to do the whole west berkshire and some of them on maternity leave and they were just making up excuses and i was like well how am i going to get certain things signed off in my red book like what mm. what if i go for the you know when she goes for her first injections and the the, the nurse starts questioning that and she was like oh they won't do that so yeah so i think it was like after a year mm. that's when i first started therapy mm. that's a long time um, isn't it oh it is like you know i kept going back to gp and kept explaining like how i was feeling everything like that and they were like oh you know it will pass it will go blah 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 um they actually put me on some anxiety tablets thinking that it was anxiety and i said it's not anxiety i was like it's it's something more severe than that mm. um you know like i need a bit more help than that because mm. literally all i did was sit down said one word and that was it they're like oh don't worry we can sort this and then just prescribe me some anxiety tablets i didn't take them because I knew that I didn't have anxiety or separation anxiety or anything like that. I knew that I was severely depressed and I wasn't the only one who thought it. Um, my mum, she knew. And um, I remember one time she sat down with me and she looked at me and she went, you need to get your fucking act together. <laughs> you know, you've got a kid now. You need to, you know, buckle up and, be a fucking parent because I can't do it for you that's really hard to hear and then that's what I broke down I told her everything she went we're gonna get you the help she was like if you need to pay for the therapist we will help you and to this day I always you know thank her for sitting down with me and being blunt because I knew that I would keep it within myself I would like never tell her because we're a very open family but when it comes to mental health mm. we're a bit tricky to understand it because a lot of us do suffer with it and when I opened up and I broke down about it my mum just looked to me she went went through the same thing and um mm. that's when we all started being a bit more open with each other do you know it's funny isn't it when we feel like we hold things inside and then as soon as somebody else says something it's feels easier to say me too because I had an experience where I really struggled after I don't know maybe about 18 months two years after having my little boy and just finding it really really fucking difficult um and feeling like I I was the only person who was feeling like that and, and my mum sat me down and she said it was exactly at this point like when you were his age that I went to the doctor and I saw somebody and I got some medication. It's just, if I'd known that, I'd have gone, oh my, you know, maybe there's something in it, like genetically or just who we are. I, I don't know. Fam- family stuff is, yeah, hard when you don't know. The other oh, yeah, experience. When, when I had Blue, my daughter, that's when I sat down and I was like, right, I've missed out on so many months of learning stuff I need to sit down and go through all these mum books and parent books and go to baby groups and you know contact my friends who have had kids to see if they could give me any advice and the first like two years was like a struggle like a real struggle um definitely when I moved out yeah because I moved out in end of 2017 going into 2018 I think no, it's the end of 2018, so just after Lou turned a year old. And loneliness is a real thing, definitely when you have a child. So you kind of have to accept that you're going to be on your own if you don't have a partner, or even if you do have a partner. Like, I've spoken to my mum about this. 
And she said after she had my brother Josh, who's the last of us, she was like, that's when you, you know, you you accept that times are going to be lonely. Times are going to be hard when you're a parent, even if you're with a partner or by yourself. And you kind of just have to appreciate and accept your own company. And I've never done that before, which was a real big struggle that I struggled with Mm. for a very long time because I'm so used to having people around me because I'm a people's person. Mm. And, you know, with my job as well, being a body person, I'm constantly seeing people throughout the day. So when I moved into the flat that I live in now, I had to kind of just live in a quiet area for starters because my mum's house is a madhouse so when I moved to the place that I'm at now it's quiet mm, and you're just sat with your own mind aren't you yeah and the the first like couple of months I really struggled like I was like keeping myself busy because I had like eight months off after I had my little one because I was like, I just left the studio that was at because I had to tell him that I just had a kid, mm. um, which was a brilliant thing to do because it was my mum that told them and they all thought that my mum was lying. And she was like, no, it's true. She's just had a kid. Um, I think how it went was that my mum rung my boss at the time and um, she, he, she went to him, right, put me on speaker. You know Why? She was like, I need to tell you something. And uh, she went, are you all fucking sitting down? Oh and uh, <laughs> and uh, Craig, the other tattooist, was like, yeah, what's up, Sam? My mum. Yeah, just to let you know, D, D, uh, it's currently in hospital. She just had a baby. And uh, my boss, Kevin, at the time, turned around and said, You're, you are joking. That's not true. Like, she's not had a kid. We would know. Like, she would tell us if she was pregnant. And then my mum had to explain, like, the whole situation. Mm. And I remember when I just got home, I think I was home, well, no, a couple of days while I was in hospital, uh, my good friend Lauren, uh, she came up with the tattoo apprentice, Pia. And they brought me, like, Moses basket and then cloves and nappies and stuff like that. And they all wanted to see Lou. So I was just like, well, she's downstairs at the moment, but I can ask if we can go down there. So we all went down there, went to have a look at her and stuff like that. And then when I came home, I think it was like two weeks afterwards, there was a knock on the door and it was my boss, Kevin. Uh, He was like, yeah, just come over to drop over some balloons and, you know, a bottle of vodka when you're ready to start drinking (laughs) and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh, thanks. It definitely sounds like your experience has kind of brought out this this kind of community of people who have almost like risen to to help you in such a shocking time and all these kind of individual people that you have still kept very strong bonds with. And that's, I think that's what's really struck me about you is how much you can see the good in people. Like I can just see that you're all these people that you're remembering and actually, you know, yeah, there were people that let you down, but those people that stood up, you've totally, totally remembered them and, and really showing them your appreciation? Oh, yeah. I think it goes through the family. We're all like it. We wear our hearts on our sleeves. And, you know, if anybody, in a way, does something to hurt us, we would always give them another chance just to build bridges, I guess. Or, you know, after giving birth, is that a lot of them, you know, beforehand did turn their backs on me when I was in hospital Mm. Um, one of my friends I actually had to ring him and tell him while he was at download festival that I just given birth and he just turned around and said I'm trying to enjoy the festival I'll talk to you soon and just (sighs) hung up and I was just like it's fine he's probably drunk whatever and then three weeks later he he kind of like knocked on my door and he was like I'm really sorry he brought me flowers and stuff like that and I was like you know what it's fine you know you're at a festival I don't really be, mm. want to be a bird and for the first year he was there as well he would help mm. me like go out shopping to get baby stuff and take mm. me out on days where I could just enjoy a pizza in peace yeah I assume you you obviously did have an on and off relationship with your daughter's father so did you but did you obviously have that conversation with him saying this has happened FYI me and Lou's dad were 
kind of on and off. And when I finally got in contact with him over the phone, I was like, oh, yeah, just to let you know that you were technically the one person I was sleeping with at the time. I wasn't cheating on you. I've just given birth and you're a dad. And he just went to me and went, no, not happening. Bye. And hung up. And then I had this essay message from him and it basically outlined that he wasn't ready to be a dad, which, okay, understandable. Um, He didn't want to be involved. He didn't want to put any money towards the baby because he didn't know whether it was really his or not. Right. Um, So he was questioning that. So after sitting down and writing out pros and cons, there was more cons and I took the decision to put myself and my daughter first. And I was like, you're not going to be involved like simple as like you know if it's the case that my daughter does want to know about her dad in the future then yeah I'm going to tell her the truth I'm going to tell her his name where he used to live what his date of birth is and what the situation the current situation is um but so far Mm. she hasn't really said anything she kind of just says like I don't have a dad whenever she's asked um and the kids kind of just accept it they don't go why Mm. And so when I made that decision, I was going to, you know, contact him and say, like, you know, if you do ever want contact with her, you can go through, we can go through child maintenance people. We can do it as a um, uh, supervised Mm. visitations. Blocked. Blocked me on Facebook, blocked my numbers, blocked me everywhere. Even my business number, my mum's number, everyone. So I kind of just took it as the fact that he just didn't want to know. So I left it at that. If you could give any sort of advice or suggest some resources or anything like that for somebody who might find themselves unexpectedly in the same position that you did, what advice would you give somebody? If I could go back in time, I'd definitely reach out to Minds Charity quicker. Because your mental health can change so much after you have a child. Um, And they have multiple people who they work with who give great mental health advice and they can forward you to a local uh, charity that can help with uh, parents who are struggling. Um, They did that with me. Also, just get yourself a really good, like, group of people to support you. I know it's hard finding them, um, but there are amazing people out there out there who do it just on facebook instagram twitter there are definitely people out there who will be happy to even if it's a stranger they will be happy to just sit down with you for a couple of hours in person Mm. just to see how you're getting on um always having the support around you is very important i would say it's like human Um, it's just like regular human contact keeps you that little bit more sane doesn't it than sitting um, yeah mind for too long Mm -hmm. Mm. and if there's professionals around you so if it's a midwife or a a nutrition doctor or you know when you go and get your baby weighed if you're struggling reach out it's the main thing to do that's what I did and I got the help that I needed and if you're truly suffering any of those professionals or people within what they do will definitely guide you and help you sounds like they were the right people for you to be able to talk to oh well thank you so much for sharing your amazing story with me and actually just being so vulnerable and like being so raw with it and yeah I I, it's it obviously several points are are like really emotional and I just yeah thank you for for sharing that because that can just be a, a hard place to open up but such a inspiring story actually I think of how you've reached out and you've spoken to people and I know that you know things don't get better overnight do they it's such a gradual thing oh Um, I still suffer to this day like it isn't a one fix thing it stays with you for for a lifetime yeah but yeah that's great advice about reaching out because I I know I've known about mine charity but I didn't realize that they could do things like offer grants and um, things like that so that's that's a really really valuable piece of advice brilliant um well yeah is there anything else you wanted to share at all or um, um 
about your... if anybody does want to reach out and they are struggling you're yeah. welcome to contact me um i've got yeah, instagram i'm gonna say how, how can people lecture. get in touch with you if you if you did want to get in touch with you how would they do that so they can just contact me by instagram it's just pearl collective underscore um you can message me any time of the day or night i will listen and you know you might get a phone call from me as well because i'm a very open person it is and i wear my heart on my sleeve and i'd be happy to help anybody in any kind of position that they are and i would guide them to somebody who is professional and they can get the help that they need oh brilliant well i'm hopefully going to be able to put these kinds of things on on my website so any kind of little notes um i can link to that as well so that's brilliant I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Dee's story really is an incredible one and one that many of us have heard of but not necessarily ever heard the full story. So yeah, it was really interesting for me to hear from her and everything that she went through both pre and post baby. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really love it if you could go to whichever platform you're using and to leave a rating, maybe even a review. It really helps me to be visible to more people. So that would be incredible. Or alternatively, you can find me on social media. On Instagram, I'm Real Birth Podcast. And same on Facebook, The Real Birth Podcast. And you can just share this episode with anybody who you think might find it interesting. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much. And I will see you next time.